Well, good morning, everyone. My, my name is Matt, and I am from Iowa. When I say Iowa, yell out loud what you guys think of. Tale of dreams. Nice. Very educated. Very good. Nobody said potatoes. Everywhere I go, someone yells out potatoes. And you know where that is. It's Idaho. Well, this is uh, another chance for me to come and worship with you, and I'm so grateful for Dr. Joe and, and Barry and his wife, Diane, and they've treated me like family. I'm actually, this time, I'm actually staying with Barry at his home, and what he doesn't know is I'm going to stay there for about a month. <laughs> and uh, he's shaking his head, so we might need to pray for that. But no, they've treated me like family, and I appreciate that dearly. And how many of you know that your leadership in this church loves you greatly? How many of you know that? They love you. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. They don't just bring me in because uh, they don't have anything else to do. They're bringing me in to invest in marriage and invest in mentors and invest in discipleship, which really means invest in you. And I love that. Because church is not just about Sunday morning, what's going to be spoken from here to you. Church a lot is between now and next Sunday when we all gather again. And they care about that part of your life, and I value that greatly. I've got a message this morning that's titled, The Power of One. And I want to talk a little bit about it. And i got a quote here from someone who is famous. Here it is. Build for your team, build for your team a feeling of oneness, of dependence on one another, and strength that is derived by unity. Famous quote is from Vince Lombardi. Anybody know who he is? Yell it out. Coach of? Can we say Green Bay Packers down here in North Carolina? Can we say that? All right. Vince Lombardi knew something about teamwork. He took lots of large men who were large... And unruly, I'm sure, and probably lots of other issues. And he brought these men together in a a football team, and he was one of the most winning coaches in the history of the NFL. He knew something about oneness and unity with a bunch of wild, unruly people. And I want to talk about that this morning a little bit, because we're going to unravel what it means to you to be in unity. And Vince Lombardi was not the first person to ever unveil the power of unity. Not at all. Jesus has a lot to say about it. He is the author. He is the the writer, the the author of what unity really looks like. And he's going to unpack this for us this morning. So I'm going to say a quick prayer as we dive into the Word of God. Father, this morning, would these be your words, not mine, Father? Would you get me out of the way and your face be seen and your words be heard And your spirit be felt, Lord. That all of us would grasp this, Father, so that you can speak directly to our own soul. And that we would take more steps towards you for more power, more healing, and more anointing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The dictionary says that unity, here it is, unity. uh, When I first wrote this sermon years ago, I kind of started to yawn. I'm like, okay, another message on unity. And I, in the corporate world, I was an engineer for almost 20 years. I was trained a lot on these types of 
unity type things. And so I decided to look it up in the dictionary, and it says the state of being one, a whole or totality of combining all parts into one. Here it is, an absence of diversity. Think about that today. Absence of division, an absence of diversity. And if you're here this morning and you're younger, I want you to really tune in. I want the young ones who are not married to tune in, and here's why. Because this message has everything to do with your future. Everything. So if I do talk a little bit about marriage, don't check out on me. Because, by the way, newsflash, and I'm looking right at a lot of young ones over here. Newsflash. You're going to get married someday. Right around the corner. And parents, don't worry. I don't mean next week. But it's coming quicker than you think. And unity is important, and oneness is important. It's important to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I've got a thought here that we all in this room can reach our spiritual potential. And I want to talk to you this morning, married or not, young or old, single, happy, mad, glad, sad. I want to talk to you about your spiritual potential Because maybe nobody's ever told you this before, but I believe that God has a greater purpose for every single one of you. I think God has a calling and anointing that He wants to bestow upon you. And I want you to know this morning, if you're young, that you're valued by God. Just hear me for a second. Your life and your future, you are valued by God at the same level as Moses or Noah, or the disciples, or Paul, or Peter. You're valued at that level. And don't think for a second that God doesn't want to use you at that level. He does. He does. Now, God didn't have to create it this way, but He created it in a way where the number one unit that God uses, the number one tool God uses to reach people is people. And I believe he's just waiting anxiously for more of you to stand up and say, God, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? And if that's you and if that's me this morning, I think there's three things. There's three things that we need to do to reach that spiritual potential. Number one, and this whole idea of oneness, is to become one with the church. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up with me this morning. I want to share with you what Jesus has to say that's a thousand times more impactful than Vince Lombardi's quote. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 17, verse 9. John chapter 17, verse 9. Please open your Bibles. Uh, listen, I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about great authors and great psychologists and great people, but there's nothing that will ever become more important than this thing right here. This has the most psychology in it. It has answers in it. It has healing power in it. It has things that's going to talk about your life now and your life in the future. It has everything we need in here. So let's open it up. John 17, chapter 9. Now listen, before we read it, I got to give you a backdrop here. Jesus is speaking, and he's about ready to die on the cross. It's not very long after this that Jesus knows he's about to perish. So what he does, he does something very important. He prays to God the Father. This is an iconic 
uh, section in the Bible. It's an iconic chapter. I call it Jesus' final prayer. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes right now of those around him. I want you to transport your mind right now. I know you're busy. I know you've got a thousand things in your life. But transport your mind right now. You're one of the disciples. You're standing next to Jesus. He's about to die on the cross. And he's got a final prayer that he prays to God the Father. And it's for you. And I would think of all the prayers that Jesus prayed up, that his final prayer, knowing he's about to go be with God, his final prayer for you, it's going to be a doozy. I'd lean in on this one. And not only does he pray for the disciples in this chapter, but hear me out, I'm going to show you, he literally is praying for you in this chapter and me. Let's read it. Jesus says, I pray for them. He's talking about the disciples. But I'm not praying for the world. He makes it crystal clear who he's not praying for. I love that. There's no confusion here. This isn't just some random prayer. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they're yours. He's talking to God about the disciples. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer But they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And here it is. This is a very, very... If you're underlining or highlighting things in Scripture, please underline this one. So that they may become one as we are one. That's his prayer. That they would become one as you and I are one, God. And I don't think there's anything majestic here. I don't think it's some secret formula that only theologians can unpack. I think what he's saying is that the unity, the one vision, the one power, the one in unity, the hand-in-hand combat that him and God had unveiled for the whole universe, he's saying, I want them to have that same teamwork. That's all he's saying. It's reachable. It's It's doable. He says, I would that they become one as we are one. Now, I'm going to call a time out here. When I first dove into this, I thought, that, that's so weird. Because if I were Jesus, and I had this superpower, right? Especially with today's movies, with X-Men and all these different movies, which I do like sci- sci-fi movies. I mean, I would have ordered up something like, you know, a magic wand or maybe a staff or a sword or some superpower like, hey, God, would you give those disciples a, a magic something where they can go like a weapon? Where, where, I mean, they could just use this weapon to do almighty things. That's what I would have done. But Jesus ordered up oneness. That seemed odd to me. Oneness. That doesn't... Seems so powerful. Wait a minute. But it is. It's very powerful. Jesus goes on to say, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Right there, Jesus is talking about you and me. He is praying to God the Father for a weapon for us today. He says that all of them may be one. There it is, the second time Jesus orders up this weapon of oneness. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, all of us now, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's stop right there for a second. I get a million questions 
in ministry as we've trained thousands of mentors all over the world. And, and this is a, this is a why, why is Jesus so passionate about oneness? Why is it a weapon? What can it perform? And he answers that question right here. So that the world would know who sent me. By the oneness of the disciples, by the oneness of all of us Christians right here at Lawndale, by our oneness, we are powerful. And the Lord's name would be glorified times a thousand through our oneness. But beware. Beware of anything that comes against oneness. And he says... I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they become one as we are one. There he said it again, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. There it is again. To let the world know, let the world know, let the world know that you sent me and that you've loved them even as you've loved me. That is his final prayer for us. And as a, as a bit of a display or a bit of an exercise, I thought, I, I thought I'd do something really different. I'm going to ask the band to come forward, and I'm, I'm going to show you what the power of unity is. And I've asked the band to come forward, and as they do, they're going to grab their instruments, and they're going to play for you. And as you watch them, I want you to think of the drums and the guitar and the piano and the vocalist. They're all operating in their full gift, their full gifting. And they're operating in harmony, and they're one, and it is, it is powerful. Matter of fact, it's appealing. People are drawn to it. And that's your life. When you are one, when you're one with the Lord and you're one in the way that God wants you to be, you're attractive. People come to you and they're like, I want the light that you're shining. And that's why Jesus says this. So I've asked them to play 60 seconds or so of any song they wanted to. Let's just listen in and be impacted by the power of oneness. Go ahead. Let it rip. sound good? I want that. I want that. How do I get that? And if it's Jesus' final prayer that we become one so that the world would know who he is and we sound like that, my life, I want you to know this morning that your life is like a symphony. Your life will play music whether you know it or not. Your life just plays a symphony of music and it's either music that when people hear it and they see it, they're like, I want that. And that's Jesus' prayer. But if that's what Jesus wants, what do you think Satan wants? Yell it out really loud. Division. He wants to divide. He wants your life to sound horrible. And so if it's only fair that they show you what music sounds like that's harmonious, I've asked them to rotate one instrument and play the same music. Are you guys ready for this? Same music. Same gift. Same men and women, same power, but they're divided. They're, they're playing different instruments, and, and they don't know how to play these. And I'm not sure who's going on the drums. 
Are you ready for this? This is what your life sounds like when there's division. Somehow, some way, go ahead and begin. Let's give him a hand, everybody. That was actually better than I expected it to be. <laughs> Thank you. Nobody had the courage to get on the vocals. <laughs> That's all right. It might be funny, but it's true. That when Satan gets into my life and he gets into my marriage, he gets between me and my church, he gets into my family, he gets between me and my friends, my life is a, is a disaster. And the music that it plays and the symphony at work when you're with your buddies or your coworkers or your family, the music that my life plays, people hear it and they're like, I don't want that. And Jesus knows that there's power in unity. And I want to unveil this deeper to become one with your church. How? Some people come to church on Sundays and, and that's it. And then they go home and, and then they completely back away from the church for, for four or five days, completely uninvolved. And then they come back on Sunday and, and hear Dr. Joe deliver the word. And then they go home and, and this, is the, this is the pattern. And I'm asking you to change that pattern this morning. I'm asking you to become one with the church in such an intimate way because it will unlock your spiritual potential. If you, if you want to know what God's calling is and if you want to be anointed and you want to be iconic in the, in the heavenly way and be used by God where thousands and thousands of people would know his name, we've got to become one with our church. One of the first things I say is this. If I want to become with, one with my church, then i got to become one with the leader of my church. And how many of you know what keeps Dr. Joe awake at night? How many of you know? How many of you know what this man is on his knees crying out to, out to the Lord for? Do you know what keeps him awake? Do you know what's heavy on his heart? Do you know the areas of concern that he has for you and this city? Because his vision should become our vision. His crying out should become our crying out. Let's become one with His pain and one with His joy and one with His calling and one with His vision. Hey, Pastor, where, where do you feel God calling us to go? Because that's where I want to go. Do you know? As many times as I've talked to Dr. Joe, um, I believe with all my heart that that if, if you reached out to him, that he would find it to be super grateful that you cared enough to say, brother, how can I pray for you and lift you up? You can email him. You can ask him. Put it on your prayer list. Here's another, one, here's another way to become one with my church. And this one's going to sting a little, so I'm warning you ahead of time. And especially the young ones. I want you to get this when you're young. I wrestled this when I was young, and now it's just never been an issue. It's just, it's just, I've wrestled it to the ground and I, I just, I'm going to, I'm not going to make this an issue in my life. Here it is. Pay your tithes. 
I want to become one with my church. Here's the thing. I want all the church has for me. I want all of, I mean, I want the church to serve me, pastor. But, uh, but, you know, when it comes to my money, uh, hey, that's off limits. And I've mentored a lot of couples who have had destroyed marriages and messed up lives. And yet they go to church every weekend and I'll ask them this question. Are you paying any tithes and offerings at all? No. And here's the million dollar moment. That God blesses the obedient. If you want his blessings to reign on your life and your future and your calling and your anointing, we must obey him. And this has really little to nothing to do with your pastor per se. It has to do with the calling God has upon him and the church. Pastor Joe doesn't want your money. And God set it up so that the economy in which we live, that's how we go do things. And the more we give and the more that we obey, the more the church can do. And the more God's name would be glorified in this city, in this county. Become one with your church, with your wallet. Hey, God, it's yours. Here it is. My wife and I wrestled with this, and when we first got married, I'd already made a decision that I'm giving 10% no matter what. Boom, it's just done. And then I had one guy go, well, do you give pre- or post-tax, Matt? You know what I do? I give pre-tax. Hey, God, I trust you enough. And by the way... You can't outgive God. It's not like I'm going to go to heaven and God's going to go, Hey, Matt, you didn't need to give that much. <laughs> God's not going to say that. I'd like for you to journal. If some of you have never been paying your tithes, I'd like you to begin and journal your life. Just journal. Journal the next six months and just watch what happens. Another way to become one with my church is to volunteer and get involved, uh, uh, serve, uh, bleed a little bit with the church. It's a, it, some might say, well, it's messy. You bet it is. Church is messy. Uh, you, you, you're like, well, I might get hurt. Yeah, you probably will. Uh, I want to pull my hair out at times. Yeah, you probably will. And then you might, well, I want to pull their hair out. Well, you probably will. How many of you all know we come into this room flawed? Every one of us has flaws. Every single one of us. Look at the person right next to you right now. And just tell them, tell them this. Look right at them and say, you're not perfect. Just tell them. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? Shocking. You see, we're more alike than what we think. We're all alike. We're all flawed. We all battle sin. You might look at a preacher like me coming in and going, well, that guy doesn't battle sin. You'd be wrong. I battle sin. I've battled sin my whole life, and I'm probably continue going to battle it. But I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to bring it to my brothers. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't hide from it. I admit it. I'm a sinner that needs Jesus as much, if not more than all of you put together. We're in this together. Become one. Get involved, serve, uh, contact Barry and say, hey, how can I get plugged in or Diane or, or in our discipleship groups. Attend small groups is a way to become one. Get into a life fellowship group. Get into a D group. If you don't know how, email Barry. Find out. I find that sometimes the sermons on Sunday are wonderful, but how you flush it out in a small group and how you apply things and you get down into the personal things in a small group, that's where the rubber really meets the road. Go deep. Go deep.
Become one. Jesus said if we could become one, the whole world will know who he is. Become one. It is messy. We're messy. It's interesting in Galatians, it says that we should share our burdens with each other. And in that way, in that way, we're sons and daughters of the Most High. Share our burdens with each other. My concern is many of us in the room right now, we're lone rangers. We're all alone. Now, how in the world can somebody carry your burden if they don't know your burden? Get into a small group. Matthew 12.25 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Become one with your church. Get a fire in your belly. Get plugged in. Number two in this formula, it says become one with a godly friend. Here it is, three things. If I really want to reach my spiritual potential, young ones, pour yourself into your church. Wherever you go to college, wherever you land, get plugged into your church. If you live somewhere else and you move, get plugged into a church. But number two, and I think this one is enormous. I could preach for a whole weekend I could preach a whole 10-week series on this one, is become one with a friend. This is a bigger deal than what it looks like. It is a big deal who you pick as your friends. Young ones, who you pick as your friends, who you select as your friend, will have everything to do with the outcome of your life. If you want God's full pouring of blessing in your life, then you better pick your friends wisely. Because whoever you hook your life up to as a friend, their trajectory and their their direction, it's almost like looking into a mirror. My life will never become any better than the friends that I choose. And the moral compass, let's just hear this for a second. Uh, Matter of fact, I want you to know that when you're married, you know this. And if you're not married yet, you don't know this. Every marriage has a dark hour. Every marriage has a dark hour. When you get married, you're going to have a dark hour. I don't know how dark it's going to be, but you're going to have dark times. And when you have a dark hour, all of us, every single one of us, we're going to turn to something or someone in that dark hour. Who are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to a friend who loves Jesus and they're going to be your moral compass because during a dark hour when you're hurt, wounded, and bitter, somebody hurts you, somebody wounds you, usually in that dark hour, my compass is broken. My compass is broken, my moral compass. So I'm going to turn to my buddy. I'm going to turn to Barry. Hey, Barry, I'm so mad at Pam right now. You have no idea how mad I am. I'm just steaming mad. My compass is broken and I don't know it. So I'm going to turn to my friend Barry. Guess what Barry's compass is? His compass becomes mine. Your compass, when it's broken, you turn to your friend and you will. What kind of compass do they have? Do they know Jesus? Or are they going to say, Matt, you get back into that marriage and you love her anyway? You love her no matter what. You forgive her. You pray for her. Lift her up to the Lord. And by the way, Matt, Barry would say this. She's the best thing you're ever going to get anyway. Yeah, I know you would say that. You married up, Matt. You're not perfect, Matt. Forgive her, Matt. God will bless you, Matt. 
Give her mercy, Matt. Get on your knees, Matt. What kind of friend do you have? Do you have a wingman this morning? Men, do you have a wingman? I'm a big proponent of getting a godly wingman. Ladies, do you have a wingwoman? I just made that word up. You won't find it. Don't Google it. There's no such thing, but I think you get it. Do you have a wingwoman? Outside of your marriage, because chances are when you're going through a dark hour, you're not going to turn to your spouse. I got three men I meet with every week, and I share everything, and I hide nothing. They know every single detail about my life. They know my battle. They know my battle with lust. They know the times in my past I battled pornography. It shames me to even say it, but I want to be honest with you this morning. I am not a perfect, polished man. I'm broken. And I need God desperately. And so do you. So these men, my wingmen, they know everything. When I get back from my trips, they ask me really hard questions. Hey, Matt, were you in the Word? Hey, Matt, did you have good boundaries? Hey, Matt, did you do this? Did you do that? And we all three do the same with each other. Who's your wingman this morning? You being honest with your life? If you're not, you'll never reach your spiritual potential. Satan wants to come after you. Satan wants to destroy you. And he will if you keep things in the secret. Fungus grows in the dark. And when you keep all your sin secrets in the closet and the door is shut, they'll grow. Your sin secrets grow. Your sin grows. But when you open up that closet door and you turn on the light and you say, Brother, Barry, come in here. I want to show you the truth of my life. All of a sudden, the light starts to heal. And the truth can set you free. And even though I'm shameful of some of my past things, I'm not ashamed of God's forgiveness. That's where I live. Matt, are you guilty of those things? Yes, I am. But I live in the land of God's forgiveness where I'm free. But I can't get there if I keep it all secret in the closet. Who's your wingman this morning? In 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3, it says, After David, King David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Jonathan was David's wingman. If you studied the whole story of, of David and Saul, which I think is fascinating myself, it's one of my favorite sections to preach on. David did not become successful as, as a lone ranger. You're going to find throughout Scripture that God often used a wingman or someone to help someone else elevate to the level where God wanted them. David was not elevated by himself. And it says here that Jonathan loved him as himself. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. It's like, it's like me and Barry. I make a covenant with you, Barry. Brother to brother, brother in arms. And it says because he loved him as himself. Who's your wingman this morning? Who are you becoming one with in a spiritual sense, so that you can fly high and be all that God called you to be outside of your marriage? Are you a lone ranger? Or if I were to ask you, your first to your friend, your best friend, who you hang out with the most, who you, who's your first phone call? Something good happens to you at school. Who's the first person you're going to call? Or kids don't call anymore, do they, Pastor? Who are you going to text or t- tweet, tweet or... Instagram, or what else is there? I'm missing a lot. Snapchat, okay, I should have known that. The, 
Who are you going to snap tweet? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, he's saying, yeah. <laughs> Who's your first person? Who's, who the first person is that you'd reach out to? That's typically who you've chosen to hook your life up to. Do they know Jesus? Do they know God? If they don't, I think it's time to rearrange your friendships. Rearrange them. Knock them down a few steps. And you put somebody in that first tier that loves Jesus, and it'll change the rest of your life. It'll change the course of your life. You might have to demote them. Now listen, if you do, don't call them up and tell them. Don't call up your friend and say, Hey, uh, hey Bob, uh, I'm demoting you to second tier. All you have to do is back away a little bit, be subtle about it, and find someone that loves Jesus. Moses had Aaron. Saul had Samuel. David had Jonathan. The disciples had each other. Paul and Timothy spent a lot of time together. Who do you have? Ladies, I want for you to meet with a woman like Diane, who loves Jesus so much that when you're married to a husband who isn't very loving to you, and you have a tendency to return his unloving behavior with disrespectful contempt, you go to Diane, and she's going to say, Respect him anyway. Love him anyway. Get on your knees and pray to the Lord. He'll, he'll help you. I'll show you how. Or husbands, you go to a man and say, man, she's being contemptuous. She's being disrespectful. And the man says, love her anyway. Yeah. Ephesians 5.33 is a biblical handcuff. I call it biblical handcuffs. I am handcuffed to a biblical command to love my wife, Period. And I can take my long list of grievances against her and say, well, no, no, you don't understand. And God's like, throw away your list. Love her anyway. God says, I'm working on your spouse with my timetable. I'm working on your spouse every time you come to church and every time. I'm working on your spouse my way, my timetable. Get out of my way. Okay, God, you got it. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says, this is written from Solomon, one of the wisest authors in Scripture. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? It says, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one. Pity the man. Pity the woman who who has a broken marriage and she has no one to turn to that loves the Lord. Then he goes on to say, Listen, I love this. Don't miss this part. Though one may be overpowered, one can be overpowered by Satan. He says, two can defend themselves. And three is even better. Don't be a lone ranger this morning. Become one with your church and become one with each other. Get plugged into a small group. Uh, men, maybe, maybe like me, maybe you don't... Maybe, maybe you don't want to get into a D group or a life fellowship group. Okay, then look around the room right now. I see a lot, of, a lot of you sitting together, young ones. Go to one of your buddies who loves Jesus and say, Hey, will you meet with me all alone once a week? But by all means, don't be alone. Don't be a lone ranger. Your life will end up like that second rendition. And the music that will be played from your life will be so horrendous that when people hear it, they won't want anything to do with it. And God says, Jesus prayed up, become one. 
Then we go into our third piece. Become one with the church. Become one with your friend, your buddy, your gal. And now, become one with your spouse. And I almost believe, Pastor, that it's even in that order. I really do. If you think of life, I grow up a Christian. I'm not married when I'm 10. So i got to grapple with this when I'm young. Become one with my church. And then i got friendships before I'm married. So become one with godly people. And then marriage happens, right? Matthew 19.6 says, So they are no longer two when they get married. They become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We live in a world today where that's a joke. We don't honor that anymore, do we? If you're here this morning and you're divorced and remarried, or maybe you're divorced and not, listen, this is not to hurt you or shame you. I pray God bless you. I pray that God bless the marriage that you're in, that it lasts a lifetime. But there's a reason why in Malachi God says he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorce for legalistic law reasons. He hates divorce because he loves you. And he knows the pain and the suffering you're going to go through. I've never met a divorced person yet today anywhere in the country. And we've trained thousands and thousands of mentors. I've never met a divorced person yet that came to me and said, my divorce wasn't painful at all. There is an element of regret and hurt in every single divorce. And God says, I don't want that to happen to you. Matter of fact, I need to even call a timeout in this message right now. And I want to speak to you young ones sitting here all throughout the auditorium. I'm going to ask you to make a promise this morning so that you can become one with your future spouse and you've got a, you've got a stronger chance to make it. You've got a stronger chance that your anointing and your calling will be fulfilled. Here it is. You ready? Ladies, here it is. No matter how good looking he is, no matter how amazing that guy is that you meet in your future, if he doesn't know Jesus, walk away. Don't go on one date. That's right. Don't go on one date. Don't go on one date. And guys, I don't care how pretty she is, and I don't care how amazing she smells, and the fact that she flips her hair like this, you know, and, and your knees go, you're like, oh, did you see that? By the way, did I do that right, Pastor? Flip my, is that how they do it? Okay. If she doesn't know Jesus, walk away. Don't go on one date. Don't go on one date. Why? Because, listen, your heart can get wrapped around somebody so quick. You can fall in quote-unquote love so quick and think that they're the right one or think that they're going to change and you're going to roll the dice and maybe they will, but chances are they won't. And you'll never become one with them unless they love Jesus like you do. So why risk it? Why go through the trouble? It's trouble enough as it is. Would you make that promise this morning? Would you promise to do what I did? Is to find a woman who every single morning I get up, she's got her drink right there, her lamp is lit down in our living room, and she's in the Word every morning. I've never asked her to do it once. That's my wife. And Pam and I have gone through trouble because we're both strong-willed. We're strong-willed. Are you strong-willed? Raise your hand right now, men, if you married someone... No, no, this is a good quiz. It's a good quiz. It's a good quiz. Men, raise your hand if you married a strong-willed woman. Look around the room. You're not alone. Let's pray right now, Lord. 
I love strong-willed women. I do. I was drawn to it. Let's, let's give it up for strong-willed women. We love them. We love them. Hey, read the last, read the last chapter in Proverbs. That woman was not weak. She was a strong woman. It says in that chapter that that woman, she saw a field and she bought it. I'm like, you go, girl. Go buy a field. (laughs) And I was drawn to Pam. I was drawn to her strength. But what I didn't realize is her her strength also created conflict. I was drawn to her just like a bug is drawn to a zapper. (laughs) That's not funny. And we got married and and all of a sudden my strong will hit her strong will. Have you been there before? Anyone who's married, have you been there? And I want you to know that, that, that just because there's friction in your marriage doesn't mean you married the wrong person. That's a lie from the devil. What happened is you married someone who, who is, who is a worthy person. They're, they're, they're a fortress. Yeah, I married a fortress to be reckoned with. And when you can take Scripture and do what God called and say, Pam and I are going to go from this to this. Wow. You're going to make a, you can make a difference in this community way beyond your imagination. Because where he is strong, you are not. And where you are, he is not. And together, you are a force. So don't look at your conflict as a problem. Look at it as potential. Become one. Get through your stuff. And Pam and I have gotten through our our wrestling matches early on and we built this ministry now that we can't even believe what's happening with with the Lord blessing it and blessing it and blessing it. But listen to me, I know for a fact that my anointing and my calling will rise and fall on the condition of my marriage. As goes my marriage, goes the whole ministry. And Jesus knew this in his final prayer. And he's like, God, would you help them become one so the world will know me? Because when they're divided, it's ugly. The church is ugly. The marriages are ugly. We're ugly. And nobody wants it. And that's Jesus' final prayer. It is powerful. Become one. How? How do you become one in your marriage? Well, we have a couple things here for you. We put a card in your hands. I'd like everybody to pull the card out if you could, please. Looks like this. Married or not, single, happy, mad, sad, glad. If you're here this morning, and there might be the smallest of wedge in your marriage, the smallest of thorn, the smallest little issue that just pricks away at the heart, if that's you and you want a little bit of help, sign the card. It says, we need mentored. We're going to pair you up with a couple that's already been trained here, that's seasoned, gifted. There's going to be confidential, totally private. Nobody will know. They'll meet with you one or two times or maybe more. Get past the ego. Get past the pride. My wife and I put ourselves through this process from time to time because we need it. And if I can do it, so can you. Just click a box that says, we need mentored. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're married and you're in deep trouble and you know it. Check the box. We take on every couple. You need a little encouragement all the way to you're thinking of divorce. Sign the box. Check the box. Put your name, phone number, email. The church is going to reach out to you later. Maybe you're here and you've got a healthy marriage. And just like us, you're tired of watching couple after couple after couple. Boom, dissolve. It's over. 
And you're like, I want to make a difference. I want God to use our marriage to make a difference in that marriage. And if that's you, check the box that says, I'd like to be a mentor. I'd like to learn how you do it, Matt. We created a method that is being used all over the world. And if you check that box, Pastor Barry will let you know, and he'll meet with you and interview you and let you know their upcoming training. The third thing is I've created a a, a nine-week marriage class that they're going to launch here in a week. It'll happen on the second service, during the second service right here in the church. And it's called Round the Basis to a Better Marriage. And it strengthens your ability to communicate, negotiate, remove conflict, and become one even more. And if you, want to, if you just want to sign up for that class, check the box. At the end of the service, I want everybody to turn these in, the offering plate, signed or not signed. If you didn't sign it, please turn it back in so they can reuse them. And if you did sign any of it, turn it in on the offering plate. And here it is. No one's going to be noticed. They're embarrassed. No one will know. Whatever it is you check, nobody will know. No embarrassment, and the church will respond. That's how you get help. I want you to know that unity between each of you should trump everything else. I look at every little bitty threat. Hear me out here. I'm about to close. I'm about to close. Hear me out. Young ones, hear me out. Every little bitty wedge between you and the church you and your godly friends, and you and your future spouse. Every little twig, every little thorn, every little wedge between you and them, every little wedge is a huge threat. It's a huge threat. Satan doesn't come knocking on your door wearing an outfit saying, I'm here to destroy you. Will you let me in? He comes at you with a little sliver. And then you don't deal with it. And it becomes worse and worse and worse. And I'm asking you to do everything you can to create unity between you and your church and you and your godly friends and you and your spouse because it's powerful. It's more important than a clean house, more important than working too many hours, more important than money, more important than me being right with Pam, more important than my own want, More important than all those things is the unity in my marriage. Maybe you've been wounded this morning. Maybe the wound is the problem. Maybe the wedge is a wound. Maybe your parents were horrible. Maybe you had a bad experience with your mother, your father. Uh, Maybe the wound is so deep that it comes with you. In every relationship you're in, there's going to be trouble because that wound is controlling your life. It's time to get rid of the wound. It's time to let it heal. It's time to get rid of the thorn. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's only one way to do it. And I always say this, the way to unleash your spiritual potential is to do a lot of forgiving and a lot of repenting. I forgive you for everything and I'm sorry for my part. As a matter of fact, we even train and teach some people who are victims. I spent years dealing with sexually abused boys who who were sexually abused. And I spent years counseling them how to get past the wound. How to get away from being a victim. And sometimes they were such a victim that their choice to be a victim became sinful. And I I hate hate to make it look this way, but man, your response to the wound has now become the problem. The original problem was what that person did to you. But now the problem is you and the way you're responding to the wound. Would you... Release that person to the Lord and forgive them so your heart could be healed. 
can you forgive and can you repent and can you forgive and can you repent? And next thing you know, man, you are healthy. And your mom and dad are no longer shaping your future. God is. God is my identity, not my wounds. And I learned all this by watching my father. He was deeply abused by his own father, beaten almost to death. And I'll finish with this story. I'm 12 years old going to see my grandfather, who was a mean, old, scary man. And I have an identical twin brother, and he and my my dad would go visit my grandfather every two weeks. And my father was a large man, and he was a strong man. And I started noticing some weird things, like we never brought my sisters, and we never brought my mother, and we never brought aunts and uncles. I never saw anybody go see grandpa but dad and me and my twin. And I'm 12 years old, and I'm like, Dad, what's up? What's up with Grandpa? What, what's the deal? Why is it just us, and why is he so mean? My dad sat us down both, and he says, I'm going to tell you something about your Grandpa. He was so evil when I was four or five years old that he went to prison for sexually abusing his own daughter, my dad's sister. And he beat us kids so bad. When I was 14, he got out of prison. We all got put back under his care. And he said he he beat me so bad, he literally told me he was going to try to kill me. And my mouth just falls open. And now I'm mad. I'm a 12-year-old, mad, angry at my grandpa. And my dad's sitting there. And I go, Dad, why? Why are you here? What are you doing here every other week? Why are you mowing his lawn and shaving him? And why are you so kind to him? He's never been kind to you. I'll never forget what my dad did. He pulled out the Bible. He read a verse right there in front of me and my twin. Honor your mother and your father, and the Lord will bless the rest of your life. My father didn't let his wounds define him. He somehow, through the superpower of the Holy Spirit, found a way to survive a wound and love the person who wounded him. As a matter of fact, we're at my grandpa's funeral, and I'm standing next to my father when his father just died, and my father's got a couple tears running down his face. And I, and I said, Dad, I just got to know, what are you thinking? And he looked at me and he said, I'll never know what it's like to be loved by a dad. I put my arms around him. And I said, Dad, I'm glad I'll never wonder. God has broken the chain of bondage. God has broken the chain of bondage because my father chose to become one with his church and one with godly people around him so that his identity would be found in Christ, not his wound. And my father fought hard for his marriage that they would survive lots of things. And my father's spiritual potential was maxed out. As a matter of fact, I interviewed him a week before he died, my father. And I said, Dad, I want to write a book on you about you and your dad. And I said, I I want to know more details about what he did to you and and the wounds and how did you survive. And my mother cheated on you, Dad. And I want to know, how did you survive all that? And I said, Dad, I I just want to document all this for a book. And my dad looked at me and he said, No, you know enough. I'm not going to shame them. I'm taking it to my grave because God has healed it. You don't need to know more except he's the answer. Who is this guy? Become one with the church. 
Become one with godly people that God has put around you. And become one in your marriage so that you can thrive, so that God's name would be glorified and he would use you throughout all corners of the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we close this morning, I know some of us in this room might not even know you personally. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, if there be one of you that doesn't know Jesus, you want that power, you want that superpower, then just do this right now in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I choose right now to believe in you. I repent for my sins and ask you to dwell within me and take my life. In your name I pray, amen. If that be you, I want you to let your pastors know, but with all heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe some of you right now need to forgive. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've just got to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive them and I'm going to repent for my response to their sin against me. If that be you right now, just do business with the Lord. Just do business with the Lord. We're in no hurry. Just whisper these words. I forgive them. Forgive me, Lord, for my part. I forgive them. Forgive me for my response to their sin, Lord. Heal me. Pray this prayer as we close. Father, I pray that we all become one with this church and our churches, Lord, in ways that we've never thought before that are intimate. I pray that we become one with godly people, Lord, deeper and better than ever. And I take our marriage, Lord, we take our marriage right now, we hand it over to you. That your name be glorified. Our kids get to sense the presence of you in our marriage. That your name would be spread throughout the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. I know God has spoken truth into your heart today. And when you listen to Matt, powerful message goes out. His father didn't give free rent in his brain to garbage and sin and feelings. He listened to the word of God. And some people would have probably said to your father, sir, what a waste. But I can tell you this. His father's son has impacted lives around the world. And your father knows the glory of God and that blessing. And I, I'm blessed to hear your redemptive, wonderful story. Aren't you blessed? Give God a hand of praise for that. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful thing. That's our God. That's the power of God. And that's the power of unity and oneness that Matt's talking about. This is togetherness. Anybody can be together. He showed you this is oneness. God wants to bless you today. And I want pastors and deacons to come up here. If you'd like to come up, pray for your marriage, pray for someone else, pray for a release from something you've held. The, the, the harder you hold it, the more you squash it and wreck it. Release it to God. That's what you heard today. Release it in your marriage. I don't believe God can do something that I'm sorry you believe in the wrong God. The God of the Bible can do something. We've seen it and God can do it. Let God heal you and let God let you be all you need to be. If you're one of the people today that pray to invite Jesus Christ into your life, what would stop you today? What would stop you from going forward with him and saying, I want, 
I want to live that way. I want to be one of those people where Christ and the power of Christ lives in me. If you've made that decision, come down, talk to one of our pastors or deacons. We had someone else on this side. Thank you. Talk to one of them. We're family. We're here. Matt said it for all of us. And he said, I'm not perfect. I don't get it all right. That's everybody. So we just want to own it and be there. If you're a young person, there's no finer advice you can have. Be with someone that's a lover of Jesus. Don't even start down the road, the wrong road. Because I'll tell you today, I can tell every one of you in here that are not married who you will marry. Are you a prophet, pastor? No. I've said it so many times at conferences and it's true. I'll tell you who you're going to marry. You're going to marry someone you date. Don't even go there. Don't even go there. If you don't have a church home, next week we have new members class starting, but you can come today to say, yes, I'd like to be a candidate uh, for membership in this church. We'd love for you to come forward today and just make that announcement. Be a blessing to this place and before God. You see, Matt started with being one with your church where people disregard that in our world today. It's significant. It's a place where other people come, sinners saved by grace, going forward in the symphony of how we use our different gifts together. Whatever your response is today, I'm asking you to come forward and stand. We are here. Don't fight God. Just go with it. Let the Spirit of God lead you down to this place, to someone to pray with today, or pray alone at this altar. Please stand right now. Don't wait. There is love that came for us, humble to.